Many of you have asked for it, and so I spent some of my paternity leave creating it, an introductory stoicism course. The best part? I've launched it using Gumroad's pay-what-you-want model. So if you want to pay $0, you can get the course for free. That's right, free. Learn more and enroll in the course by going to understandingstoicism.com. That's understandingstoicism.com. I have used a lot of commerce platforms in the past. By far, the most robust is Shopify. No matter how complex your business needs and no matter how large your business grows, Shopify can handle it. And they do handle it for brands like Rothy's, Ruggable, Allbirds, Knox, Magnolia, Brooklinen, Glossier, and Cotton, to name a few. You may already use another e-commerce platform, and you may be super unhappy with it, but you've already put a lot of work into it, and migrating to Shopify could seem impossible. But I'm here to tell you that it is quite easy. When I migrated to Shopify back in 2022, their apps and tools meant I just had to make a few clicks and everything was ported over as if by magic. Shopify also lets you design your storefront however you like, which, from personal experience, I know isn't the case for many other commerce platforms out there. All these features and all this control can result in more sales more often. So stop leaving sales on the table, switch your business to Shopify today, and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their businesses. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial at shopify.com forward slash practical, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com forward slash practical. Shopify.com forward slash practical. Good morning, Prakaptan. Today, I'm going to answer a couple of patron questions rather than going through a meditation. They're starting to pile up and I want to make sure I get to them. So that's what we're going to do today. I think you're going to get something out of all these questions, or at least I hope you will. But first, a few thank yous to new patrons. Thank you to Paulo Lavandira, Anmol, Noah Warn, or Warn, sorry, Noah, and to Jim. Just plain old Jim. Although you're not plain to me, Jim. To me, you're the best Jim there ever was because you've decided to support this podcast. Thank you to each of you. You're enabling the continued existence of this podcast and my work more broadly. So thank you again. If you're not yet a patron of this podcast and you would like access to the ad-free version as well as to other things like submitting questions to the show and making episode suggestions and other things that only patrons get to do, go to stoicismpod.com forward slash members to sign up. Today's questions in brief are as follows. First, are our own bodies externals and thus indifferent? Second, how can you use stoicism to keep coworkers from ruining your day? Third, what are your views or the Stoics' views on vegetarian versus vegan diets? And lastly, does seeking the ideal, that is to say sagehood, hinder progress, specifically technical progress? We're going to get to these questions after a quick break to hear from a couple of sponsors, so stick around and I will see you on the other side. This episode is brought to you in part by Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app with over 3 million members. They are, without a doubt, the easiest way to play DFS. It's just you versus the numbers. You pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. With the big game right around the corner, Prize Picks is the easiest and most exciting way to turn every game changing moment into 100 times your money because with as little as four correct picks, you can turn $10 into $1,000. Offer expires post Super Bowl. 
with quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of player and stat types, it's no wonder Prize Picks is the number one daily fantasy sports app. I've got friends that use Prize Picks, and they absolutely swear by it. So if daily fantasy sports is your thing, you've got to give Prize Picks a try. Go to prizepicks.com forward slash practical and use the code practical for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com forward slash practical with code practical for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. I have used a lot of commerce platforms in the past. By far, the most robust is Shopify. No matter how complex your business needs and no matter how large your business grows, Shopify can handle it. And they do handle it for brands like Rothy's, Ruggable, Allbirds, Knox, Magnolia, Brooklinen, Glossier, and Cotton, to name a few. You may already use another e-commerce platform and you may be super unhappy with it, but you've already put a lot of work into it and migrating to Shopify could seem impossible. But I'm here to tell you that it is quite easy. When I migrated to Shopify back in 2022, their apps and tools meant I just had to make a few clicks and everything was ported over as if by magic. Shopify also lets you design your storefront however you like, which from personal experience I know isn't the case for many other commerce platforms out there. All these features and all this control can result in more sales more often. So stop leaving sales on the table, switch your business to Shopify today, and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their businesses. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial at shopify.com forward slash practical, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com forward slash practical, shopify.com forward slash practical. I want to start by saying that these questions are excellent. The best thing about stoicism in my view is how much like jello it can seem. Why is that my favorite thing? Well, because this is like a trap for a lot of people. It prevents a lot of people from getting into the philosophy at all, because if you're the sort of person who believes that answers should be provided for you or to you, and that's what determines the value of a philosophy in the first place, you're probably not the sort of character that is going to tolerate a Stoic practice. As you've heard on this podcast before, the answer to a lot of questions isn't this or that or A or B or X or Y. It is instead, it depends or it is contextual. And this creates a reality where you have to really practice the philosophy rather than simply repeat what it says and then hoping what it says is all you will ever need to know, which of course won't be the case for Stoicism or to be fair, probably any other philosophy. Now that doesn't mean the philosophy of Stoicism doesn't have some problems that are, for example, similar to organized religion, which perhaps I've just accidentally suggested, or maybe not, maybe I'm reading too much into my own writing, but there are definitely plenty of people, more than plenty of people, who believe quoting Marcus Seneca, Epictetus, Zeno, or any of the other Stoics is in itself a good enough rebuttal to a challenge or answer to a question. We see this in organized religion of all sorts. Christ said, Muhammad said, Allah said, God said, Yahweh said, etc., etc. And it is the case that in Stoicism, when people use quotes as the answer, the way that religious people can sometimes quote their holy books as answers, 
it is very likely that they don't understand the full context of the quote and that if they did, they might not be saying it in the first place. A good example of this might be, blood is thicker than water, a quote that is often used by people who are defending the prioritization of their blood relatives over, in some cases, what is morally or legally right. But that saying seems to be derived from the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb which suggests the opposite, that it's not family you should prioritize, but the covenant of what is presumably morally good or right. You don't do what's right for your family. You do what is, as an example, right by God. Now, I'm not a historian of any repute or at all, so that saying may just be internet hearsay, but I'm only using it as an example. It is often the case that when we use a segment of text as an answer or a retort, we remove the context surrounding that bit of text and risk heading in a direction of reasoning that is rooted in a misunderstanding or ignorance of the original context. Why am I spending any time mentioning this? Because to many of you, it might be obvious. The reason is because each of these questions, every question having to do with Stoicism, in fact, can be answered in one of two ways. The first way is with full contextual understanding, and the second way is without full contextual understanding. I'm going to try my best to give a full contextual understanding so that my answers aren't nonsense and you get real use out of them. And the first question comes from patron Arke, who asks, are bodies externals and thus indifference? I do find it necessary here to make it clear every time I use the word indifference that I am pluralizing the word indifferent, I-N-D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-T-S. I'm not saying indifference like holding indifference towards something, okay? I feel like I always have to clarify that because the words sound identical. So RK is hinting at a fundamental misunderstanding about the concept of an indifferent in Stoicism. If something is an indifferent, it means it has no impact on our ability to acquire the knowledge of how to live well. That's virtue. If we're enslaved, this is an indifferent. If someone else is enslaved, that is also an indifferent, both to them and to us, as our enslavement or the enslavement of others would not prevent ourselves or those others from achieving the knowledge of how to live well. At least, that's what the ancients thought. But did they really? It is my opinion that the ancient Stoics were probably a bit more flexible on this stance than we suppose them to have been. And imagine, as a for instance, if someone were beaten so badly that they lost their mental ability altogether and became severely impaired. You couldn't very well call the abuse that damaged the rational faculty an indifferent, since our rational faculty is what enables us to learn anything. And if you did, you would be trying to stick to some kind of, I don't know, dogmatic or orthodox definition for the sake of itself, I guess. I think we're probably really stern on the fact that externals don't impact our achievement of virtue, our choices do, because this is the case most of the time. But as I've just suggested, someone being beaten so badly that they can no longer think well or properly, maybe that isn't an indifference. And certainly, I'm not so smart that I'm the first one to have ever thought of that idea. 
the ancients probably thought of that as well. So all I'm suggesting is that there are probably some extenuating circumstances surrounding the idea of an indifferent when Stoicism is practically applied in the real world. And I think the ancient Stoics would have very likely understood this, or at least had discussions about it. But of course, none of this is the point of our case question. I'm just putting it in the background, and you can wrangle with it later on your own. Our bodies are most certainly indifferent things, because the health of our body doesn't impact the health of our mind. But now you can see maybe why I said what I just said. We know a lot more about the health of our body and what the health of our body can do to our minds now than we did 2,000 years ago. So how much of an indifferent is our body if the poor health of it can infect our minds? Again, I'm suggesting there's some gray area flexibility here that the limited texts we have access to don't really allow us to see that the ancient Stoics probably reasonably had. The way I think we should think about indifferent things in today's age is that there are some gray areas that new knowledge has created, maybe holes punched in the philosophy, but not ones that do much more than give the philosophy a bit of nice flexibility, which I think is actually in alignment with Stoic thinking anyway. So for contemporary purposes, an indifferent is a thing that doesn't force us to choose viciously. The point of saying such a thing, even way back at the beginning of this philosophy, was to highlight that other things don't make us do anything. Only our minds can do that, and the mind is the realm of choice. So if it's not something you can choose or a choice you make, it is an indifferent, broadly speaking, gray areas notwithstanding. So yes, our bodies are an indifferent, because you cannot choose your body, but you can choose how to treat and care for your body. So it's not about your body being healthy, it's about how you choose to treat and care for your body. A person who cares appropriately about their body probably doesn't, for example, weigh 500 pounds and lay in bed all day, but it doesn't have to be that extreme. I weigh 300 pounds, and I only go to the gym twice or maybe three times a week on a good week. Am I carrying the appropriate amount for my body? Probably not. But then how do we define appropriately? If we define it as our blood results all coming back as ideal, then in fact, I am kicking ass because I have great bloods, as the clinic says. If, however, we define it as our blood results coming back as ideal and that we can do 20 pull-ups and run a mile in under eight minutes, then I'm super not kicking ass. Definitions matter, and definitions depend on your own personal ideas and views, and also on your roles. Have you chosen to be a police officer, a firefighter, or an athlete? Well, if you can't do 20 pull-ups and run a mile in a reasonable amount of time, you're probably not fulfilling your duties appropriately. But if you're a 40-year-old podcaster named Tanner, maybe you're still a bit off the mark, but not as severely. And if you're 95 years old, just trying to enjoy what little time you have left, Maybe prioritizing gym time gets in the way of more important things, and so to see your family last in the last year or two of your life because you think going to the gym is what makes you stoic, maybe that suddenly vicious behavior instead of appropriate behavior or behavior approaching virtue. It is all super contextual, but in theory, yes. Our bodies are indifferent things, but our choices never are, no matter what those choices are. So the choices we make concerning our bodies are not themselves indifferent things. I hope that helps. Question two comes from patron Amanda Tillman, who asks, 
how can we use stoicism to stop coworkers from ruining our day? Amanda, the answer is going to be lame right from the start, and I'm sorry, but it's the truth. You have to choose not to let them ruin your day. I know that's exactly the answer you don't want because it's an absolute shit answer, but that's the only answer that there can be to this question. Your coworker is an external. They are an indifferent to your choosing to act appropriately. They cannot make you choose to be in a bad mood. Only you can choose that in so much as you can completely control your emotions, which of course we know you can't. But we do know once those proto-emotions have been had that at some point your rational faculty can gain influence and control over those emotions. So the answer has to be that you must choose not to be bothered. But this is, I know, of course, easier said than done. So let me see if I can't do something to be a little bit more helpful to you, Amanda. I believe stoicism is a practice. It is the effort to habituate a good character through the conscious choosing of appropriate choices, even when, especially when, making such choices seems completely antithetical to how you really feel. Seems like faking it until you make it, maybe is a popular term we could draw a parallel with. For example, Bill says some nonsense to you at work, and your response is to bitch slap Bill in the face and tell him that he's as dumb as a ham sandwich that's been left out in the sun. Then you snap back from reality out of the fantasy you're having in your mind about what you want to do to Bill, and you have to now, in real life, actually choose to do something. At first, you're not going to be able to choose how you feel. In fact, as I just said about proto-emotions, you're never going to be able to choose to not have proto-emotions. That's not going to happen. You're not going to be able to choose not to be frustrated or not to fantasize about bitch-slapping Bill, but you can, right from day one, choose what to say and do externally. You could say, I don't agree with that, Bill, and while I don't want to continue discussing the matter, I respect your right to form your own conclusions about things, and then walk away. Another example is that coworker Susie is talking trash about coworker Becca, and in fact, you usually chime in to help with this trash talk. You've participated in it in the past, because that's easier than standing up for Becca. Or maybe you don't like Becca either, and you think the trash talk is warranted. Instead of giving in to that natural emotion that finds you joining in in the trash talking, perhaps you would say something like this instead. I share a lot of your views here, but I think I want to stop voicing them. We can't change how Becca is, and it makes me feel even more upset to talk about her. It riles me up. And then stop talking trash about Becca. All the advice I'm giving here manifests as an act at first. Because responding in a way that treats Bill and Susie and Becca as indifferent to your achievement of virtue isn't going to be naturally in alignment with how you feel. You hate Bill. Susie is right about Becca, and Becca is a pain in the ass that you don't want to work with anymore. But I am a firm believer in a saying that I'm probably going to butcher, but that I heard many years ago that goes something like, if you speak and act like the person you want to be, one day... You'll have gotten so used to doing that that you speak and act exactly like the person you are or have become. So my advice here, Amanda, is to choose, and it's the best advice I can give, and I hope that it helps. The next question comes from patron Jacob Blowers, who asks about vegetarianism and veganism. He asks, isn't veganism the more ethical choice than vegetarianism? And he says he's not happy about the implications of this question because I don't think Jacob really wants to be a vegan and I think he thinks he's going to have to be. Well, I've got good news for you, Jacob. I don't think you have to be. 
I don't even think you have to be a vegetarian. Now, this might seem to be going back on a previous position that I've shared on this podcast, but what it really is, is my own working through of the question and arriving at a more mature viewpoint, I think, or a longer thought out viewpoint that I feel pretty certain about. You're welcome to disagree with what I'm about to say, and many of you I'm sure will, but I haven't haphazardly arrived at this conclusion. I've spent a lot of time and spilled a lot of digital ink on this topic in particular. The ancient Stoics categorically would have had no issue with eating meat. What they would have had an issue with, again, categorically, was extravagance and complication. Unnecessary extravagance and complication. When figs, beans, and nuts will do, why would you go through such complicated processes to feed yourself? That seems like it would be rooted in some sort of desire for meat, foregoing less complicated ways of feeding yourself for something more complicated and extravagant. And is that logical? Now, of course, depending on where you live and what you have access to, it could be logical. And it's also true that we know a lot more today about diets and what sort of diets are ideal, and that some diets that might be ideal for me are not ideal for thee. And so all we need to take, I think, from the ancients on this question are two things. And we need to accept these as facts. And I don't think I'm very far out of line here. I don't think I'm speaking out of school. I think everyone listening should agree with these two things I'm about to say. One, that extravagance and opulence are indifferent things because one can be virtuous and still be extravagant and opulent in an appropriate way, but that extravagance and opulence very clearly do get us closer, perhaps unnecessarily so, to the no-fly zone of vicious behavior. And maybe we should not so easily choose to flirt with that line. And secondly, that eating meat isn't anti-Stoic, but preventing things from living according to their nature or mistreating things isn't appropriate behavior. Some Stoics may well have considered that the nature of animals was to be food for humans, but an animal's nature also would have encompassed not just their purpose to humans, but their natural behavior, such as roaming free, eating whatever it is they eat in the wild, that sort of thing. And I think that this leads us to two reasonable conclusions about how we ought to choose to eat. And this is where people may or may not agree with me. One, that the way our food is treated before it becomes our food matters. And two, that we should attempt to eat simply whenever possible from our own gardens, for example, insofar as we can grow anything ourselves. We might not be in a place where we can do that. Now, what would these two reasonable conclusions, conclusions that I view as being reasonable, lead us to change about our behavior? Well, if we believe that the way our food is treated before it becomes our food matters, then we need to be a lot more selective whenever we can be about where our food comes from. I think it is fairly common knowledge, and I don't think I'm asking anyone to think too hard here, that commercialized farming of animals is not very kind to animals. The issue isn't that the animal is being killed for food, for it is in the nature of everything to die. The issue is more so, if not exclusively so, that in such environments, those animals cannot live according to their own nature, and that is not a good thing. 
So if we agree with that, and we can afford to do so, and are in a position to do so, we need to be more selective about the places from which our meat comes from. Notice that I'm not saying we can't eat it. I'm saying we need to be more ethically thoughtful about where it comes from, for the reason I've just outlined. And if we should also attempt to eat simply whenever possible, so that we create less of a strain on the ecosystem, because of course, industrialized farming destroys land and has a negative impact on the environment, and I don't mean the environment as a whole, I mean in your local backyard, that might mean that we eat smaller meals, perhaps meat is less of a feature in a lot of our meals, and more of a flavoring thing, like when you make a stew, the meat isn't the main dish of the stew, there are vegetables in there as well, potatoes and such. Maybe that we try to be less reliant on getting our food from complicated processes and commercial farming operations, and we grow some of what we need in a little garden box outside our window or in our backyard. The Stoics certainly thought well of farmers, and I don't think growing tomatoes in your backyard makes you a farmer, but it is something I think a Stoic would praise you for doing, and we might want to do things like that. Now, not everyone is going to like what I've just said. Not everyone is going to agree, and that's fine. You don't have to agree with me, and you don't have to agree with the ancient Stoics to be a real Stoic. Instead, you can arrive at your own conclusion, Bill. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I'm kidding about the callback to Bill, not about you being able to think for yourself and come up with your own conclusions. So many people want Stoicism to validate their present characters, personalities, opinions, and positions, because wouldn't that be convenient if the philosophy we were attracted to validated that the way we were acting already was just perfectly in line with what the philosophy was telling us to do? Wow, that would be convenient. But that's not what Stoicism is for. Stoicism is a philosophy for you to wrangle with all on your own and for you to figure out where you're not doing it right, because you're not doing it right. I'm not doing it right. You're not doing it right because I'm not a sage. You're not a sage. No one you know is a sage. There's always room for improvement. The important thing is that if you feel rational and logical in the way you've arrived at your conclusions, you're as stoic as anyone else, unless you're delusional or lying to yourself. But that's something only you can know. So when it comes to being a vegetarian or a vegan or a carnivore or a herbivore or whatever we are, the important thing is that we're taking into consideration all the things involved in our food choices and that we're reasoning ourselves towards something we feel is a logically sound, carefully thought out answer for ourselves. And what everybody else thinks about it is absolutely an indifferent. But that doesn't mean that the way you choose to treat people who come to different conclusions about this than you isn't indifferent. Remember, choices are not indifferent things. So if you're a vegan listening to this and you think I should be put in the public stockade and punished for saying it's okay to eat meat, maybe that's a choice you shouldn't be making. If you're a carnivore listening to this, feeling very validated and those stupid vegans and vegetarians, they're so stupid, maybe you shouldn't be making the choice to think that way either. Stoicism is a very personal philosophy. And again, what's important about it is that you arrive at your conclusions for you in a way that you genuinely feel is well-reasoned, logical, and rational. And I think that's all I have to say. Hope that helps, Jacob. The last question comes from patron Atenos, who asks whether or not seeking sagehood actually encumbers progress. This is a really good question. And I'm going to read some of what Atenos's question was. Quote, if everyone were to strive for this seemingly unattainable ideal, 
How might it impact our technological advancements? For instance, with the pursuit of perfection, as embodied by the sage who desires nothing beyond their control and finds complete contentment in their state, potentially hinder progress in fields like aviation, medicine, and other areas where our impossible desires, such as flying like birds or achieving instant communication over vast distances, have driven innovation? I love this question. It is a very good one. And here's my answer. I don't think that Stoicism requires us not to be curious. And I think it is curiosity that drives innovation, not impossible ideas. Though I understand what you meant in the question. Could we fly like birds, Zeno? Chrysippus, why don't you get your head out of the clouds and apply yourself more practically? I can see that conversation happening. 100% between Zeno and Chrysippus. And so, to some extent, yes. But everyone's character is something unique to them. And some characters are naturally more inquisitive, while the characters of others are more bookish or conservative or traditional or, you know, concerned with other things entirely. So yeah, I think some Stoics will arrive at the conclusion that the internet and aeroplanes are unnecessary nonsense before they exist and not spend a second dreaming about them. But some will have a vision. I don't mean a mystical vision, I mean just an idea. And think that not living according to the nature of their unique qualities would be an affront to their Stoic practice. So in that way, it is Stoic to both not give a damn about airplanes and to give a great damn about airplanes, the inventing of them I'm talking about. It depends on the individual. It's also worth defining what progress is to an ancient Stoic or to a Stoic at all. Is the internet progress? No, it's an indifferent. Is spaceflight progress? No, it's an indifferent. The only progress that matters is progress towards virtue. And I can be sure the ancient Stoics would have agreed with that. But remember, we have to make choices about indifferent things. And what does it say about our knowledge of how to live life excellently if, when we come up with an idea, like an airplane, that we think might truly be possible to build and might help people in, for example, Greece, fly to see new undiscovered lands with all sorts of neat things in yet undiscovered North America, and so might really be of use to the cosmopolis? What would it say if we chose not to pursue such an idea? Would it say that we were actively ignoring our nature? Remember, Stoicism isn't about orthodoxy. It's not about doing this or that in this or that manner. It's about making rational and logical choices because when you do that, you express what sort of knowledge you have. You express how near or far you are from the knowledge of how to live excellently from virtue. So my answer then, Atenos, is yes, it could impede progress of a kind, but not if people were being actually stoic instead of being concerned with being some sort of very orthodox version of Stoic. Certainly, Leonardo da Vinci, had he been a Stoic, would have still had the kind of mind that came up with great ideas. And to suppress those ideas and natural curiosity and not create the many things that he created that were of value to his family, his friends, his community, the cosmopolis, etc., those circles of concern, would have been to not be very Stoic. So I think the only way that curiosity or innovation is stifled is if people are practicing stoicism incorrectly. 
And I hope that helps, Atenos. That is all I've got for today. I want to thank you for stopping by and listening. Happy Monday, or whatever day of the week it is when you decided to play this episode. I've got a question for you that I would like you Spotify listeners to answer. What was your favorite question from today's episode, and what would your answer have been? How would you have reasoned differently to arrive at your different answer. If you listen on Spotify, you can just go to this episode's dedicated listening page by clicking on the episode title in Spotify while you're listening. And directly below that, you'll see a place where you can leave your comments. I hope that you'll do that because I'd love to know what answers you came to. Maybe you'll help me change my thoughts and come to different answers myself. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, take care. 